how would everyone react if the gods if gods were real um i've been watching american gods lately and i don't think anybody really likes them <laughs> i mean why would you they they manipulate your life they they treat you like pieces on a chessboard which you kind of are to them because that's that's the way they have to do things but what you know an all-powerful God is different. A, a God that's like, you know, he's trying to just run this whole thing. But what about other gods who are just looking after their own their own interests in a way? Like being worshipped as their food, basically. I don't know if this applies to Kryn, but it really seems to in a certain degree. So in our last part, we had gotten to where, you know, they, they had to deal with this dragon and go in and into their horde and get these discs of Mishakal who are, you know, they're, they are basically the words of the gods, the good gods, and they're being told to do this by a good god, but they are put it, they are all literally walking into a dragon's den. So that's where we're at now. So let's go, let's get into it. This is Chuck Tales, and we're still on the Dragons of Autumn Twilight. It's uh, a great book. When last we left them, they were in uh, the ruined city of Zaxaroth, and we're going to do this mission for this god. Riverwind had been killed and brought back to life. Um, bit of foreshadowing there. We'll get into that. But they had all... The, the fake dragon? Yes. Well, that was the foreshadowing. <laughs> that was a highlight for me. Yeah, it was. It was a good one. It was. It was a very good part because it was a lot of comedy in that, but also a lot of character building. Um, they're getting ready to go into the chamber, and it starts with would well, not starts with, but this is where we end. So this is where we're going to begin. It says, "Quote." Taz paused, Tasselhoff, cling to the ladder while Storm slowly pushed on the grating. You know, Flint, the kinder said seriously, my people don't fear death. In a way, we look forward to it, the last big adventure. But I think I feel badly about leaving this life. I'd miss my things. He patted his pouches and my maps and you and Tannis. Unless he added brightly, we all go to the same place when we die. Flint had a sudden vision of the happy-go-lucky kinder lying cold and dead. He felt a lot of pain in his chest. As thankful for the concealing darkness. Clearing his throat, he said huskily, If you think I'm going to share my afterlife with a bunch of kinder, you're crazier than Raceland. Come on. I like, I like that, because Flint would never admit how much he loves Tathalhoff, like his son. And he is constantly exasperated with him. I must uh, take a moment to note the dope shirt you're wearing. <laughs> That's the New Mutants. Shit, got my cord caught here. Anyway, um, so they're trying to go up this... Uh, Got a technical difficulty there. We did it. We did it. <laughs> they were trying to go up this into this tunnel uh, and this grating into the dragons. Now I think it was in the city square where the dragon has taken up her residence, of course, because dragons being assholes, especially this dragon, as we talked about. This dragon's name is Onyx. They are black dragons. They're not known for being warriors, really. They're known for guarding things and being sneaky and all that kind of stuff. They are kind of the uh, ninjas of dragons, except a- asshole ninjas. So. And evil ninjas are all evil. So they're arguing about how they have to have some light. And then 
you know, it's things go south really quick. And it says, quote, light, reply to voices cold and dark as winter midnight. Let it, yes, let us have light. The darkness fled instantly. The co- companions saw they were in a huge dome chamber that soared hundreds of feet in the air. The cold gray light filtered in the room through a crack in the ceiling, shining on a large altar in the center of the circular room. On the floor surrounding the altar were masses of jewels, coins, and other treasures of the dead city. The jewels, the jewels did not gleam. The gold did not glitter. The dim light illuminated nothing. Nothing except a huge black dragon perched on top of the pedestal like some huge beast of prey. That's a really good passage right there. They were betrayed by the uh, the high bulb. Remember him, the gully dwarf leader. Gully dwarfs, as we discussed, are one of the more... I feel a lot of conflict about them because that's a race that is inherently created to be shit by gods well how much can the gods care if they actually do this on purpose to a race they're the so, appalachians of this book it's in a lot of ways yes except they're actually unintelligent appalachian people are not unintelligent we're just don't have a lot of means so um the dragon has now gotten raceland has caught him and he's sitting on the altar and she's basically threatening him say uh you know he, he Raceland is as as always trying to he's got a plan. He he is in a lot of pain and he's terrified, but it says, quote, Raceland's eyes closed and is in exhaustion, but Tannis could see the mage's hands clench and unclench, and he knew Raceland was Raceland was preparing one final spell. It would be his last, by the time he cast the dragon would kill him. But it might give Riverwind a chance to reach the discs and get out alive with Goldmoon. Tannis edged towards the plainman, the plainsman. Basically the dragon is Threatening them, they're gonna. He's he's gonna kill the mage, or she's gonna kill the mage. I'm sorry, this dragon is a female, and at least half the party doesn't give a shit. You know, especially Sturm. He doesn't like Raceland. Not nobody really likes Raceland except his brother. Tannis likes him, but only in as much as they've been around each other since they were children. He's there's not a lot to like, of course. We'll get into that later, though, about how much there is to like, and it's coming up very soon. The dragon says, quote, obey me. The dragon lowered her head menacingly. Obey me or the mage dies. And after him, the knight, and then the half-elf, and so on, one after the other, until you, Lady of Quishu, are the last survivor. Then you will bring me the staff, and you will beg me to be merciful. River- Goldmoon has a plan now. And um, it's a plan that nobody really knows except her. It's not going to be good. Um, Riverwind is terrified and tries to stay near, but she tells Tannis to hold him back. And to do that, Tana says, quote, Riverwind, Tana said softly, trust her. You trust her. She trusted you all those years. She waited while you fought the battles. Now it is you who must wait. This is her battle. I always like to hear some something from Tasselhoff during these things because he's the everyman kind of. And he's always tries to put a positive spin on things. But this is, you know, something that's near impossible other than being fascinated by a dragon. That's impossible to put a spin on, a good spin on. And this is a good description of that. Quote, Taz watched wide-eyed and solemn. Somehow this wasn't exciting as he had imagined. For the first time in his life, the kinder felt small and helpless and alone. It was a horrible, unpleasant feeling, and he thought death might be preferable. He knows. He can sense what's going on. Kinder might be happy-go-lucky, and some consider them unintelligent. They are not unintelligent. They are just kind of scatterbrained because they're always distracted by things. Basically, it's a race with uh, with ADD. That's basically. (laughs) And some of them have ADHD. So, um, you know, but, uh, Goldmoon decides to take Sturm with her. So she says, quote, come with me, Sturm. Goldmoon whispered as he put his arm around her. You must do vow to do as I command, no matter what happens. Vow on your honor as a knight of Salamnia. 
Sturm hesitated. Goldmoon's eyes, calm and clear, met his. Vow, she demanded, or I go alone. I vow, lady, he said reverently. I will obey. Goldmoon sighed thankfully. Walk with me. Make no threatening gesture. Together, together the barbarian woman of the plains and the knight walked toward the dragon. So she's going through with her plan, and she wants uh, Sturm to get the discs. She knows Riverwind can't be trusted because what she's going to do is going to distract him. And they, and they need those discs. Like that's the, like we talked about the gods sent him to do something. This is the, the, the job the gods sent him to do. Meanwhile, Raceland is still with that iron will. He's trying to figure out what he's going to do. And quote, Raceland lay beneath the dragon's claw, his eyes closed, preparing himself mentally for the spell that would be his last. But the words to the spell would not form out of the turmoil in his mind. He fought to regain control. I am wasting myself, and for what? Raceland wondered bitterly. To get these fools out of the mess they got themselves into. They will not, not attack for fear of hurting me, even though they fear and despise me. It makes no sense, just as my sacrifice makes no sense. Why am I dying for them when I deserve to live more than they? It is not for them you do this, a voice answered him. Raceland started, trying to concentrate, to catch hold of the voice. It was a real voice, a familiar voice, but he couldn't remember whose it was or where he had heard it. All he knew was that death spoke to it, was that it spoke to him in moments of great stress. The closer to death he came, the louder was the voice. You'll find out who that is later. And the voice goes on to say, quote, It is not for them you make this sacrifice, a voice repeated. It is because you cannot bear defeat. Nothing has ever defeated you, not even death itself. That is true. Raceland Majir is... A, a, a person of singular purpose and and drive and will. His body was he wasn't healthy to begin with, and he wasn't able to play with the other children. He was frail and all that stuff. So he spent his time in study, as he said before. He learned he got good at sleight of hand before he ever did magic. Like one of the first books he bought was this book about magic tricks, like sleight of hand and all that stuff. And he got powders and he could distract people with it. And he was brilliant at it. And actually, ironically, that makes you a better actual magician because you need complex hand gestures to do these spells, not did, just not just you, your voice. Did you ever get like a magic kit when you were a kid? We all did. It was uh, awesome. It was. I was never good at them, though. <laughs> and our, our parents would, uh, oh, that's great. Like, yeah. They just go along with yeah, it. Yeah, I can see the, I can see the wires. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you're doing. <laughs> um, he would have been the one kid that could have put on a like you know one kid thought he was really good at it when put on a, a magic show yeah. and they all sucked oh yeah they're never good but this kid was one of the kids who would have amazed the adults it, it, he might have even made some christian parents leave and take their kids with him because he was in league with satan or some shit i don't know let's see gold moon keeps approaching we're gonna have a lot of pauses in this so if that comes okay. across i can cut him down okay maybe i won't though <laughs> That's <laughs> not. Um, Goldmoon keeps uh, coming forward, and it's quote Goldmoon overcome overcome with dragon fear did not move. She could do nothing but stare at the monstrous creature trembling. Sturm next to her searched the Trevor with his eyes, looking for the discs of Mishakal, far to control his fear of the dragon. I like that that in this world there's a thing called dragon fear. We've t- discussed it before. It's almost a magical awe of these creatures that are just above you there would be a great name for a black metal band dragon fear yeah yeah it would it really would. you know those black metal bands like swedish oh yeah the ones who kill <laughs> kill each other and, <laughs> and actually believe in the old gods still yeah that shit's crazy i love it <laughs> it is pretty cool like they burn down churches and shit yes um gold moon actually steps forward and she's terrified but she says, quote, what will you give us in return for the miraculous staff? Goldman asked, forcing herself to speak calmly. Though her throat was parched and her tongue felt swollen. 
The dragon laughed shrill, ugly, ugly laughter. What will I give you? The dragon snaked her head to stare at Goldmoon. Nothing, nothing at all. I do not deal with thieves. Still, the dragon reared its head back, its eyes closed, red eyes closed to slits. Playfully, she dug her claw into Raceland's flesh. The mage flinched, but he bore the pain without a murmur. You, everybody has to kind of admire Raceland. As much as you just like him, to be able to do this and still concentrate and be able to, you know, he's as brave as any knight. Like, he's he's bearing it better than Sturm does. He's bearing it better than anybody because he's just that much in control of himself. The dragon removed the claw and held it just high enough so that they could all see the blood drip from it. From it. It, is inconceivable, it is inconceivable that Lord Verminard, the dragon high master, it's high lord. I don't know why they said high master. It's weird. Uh, may, view favor, may view favorably the fact that you surrender the staff he may even be inclined to mercy he is a cleric and they have strange values but you know this lady of quishu lord verminard does not need your friends give up the staff now and they will be spared force me to take it and they will die the mage first of all and that's when Sturm walks up to her and says i found the discs he spotted them he knows where they are so that's when gold moon now knows what she has to do um quote gold moon bowed her head she was deathly pale but composed and calm Tendrils of her fine silver gold hair had escaped from the binding and fell around her face, hiding her expression from the dragon. This is really good writing. I've always thought so. Though she appeared defeated, she looked up at Storm and smiled. There was both peace and sorrow in her smile, much like the smile on the marble goddess. She did not speak, but Storm had his answer. He bowed in submission. May my courage be equal to yours, my lady, he said. I will not fail you. Goldman steps forward, and she says, quote, we do not choose to surrender, Goldman shouted, her voice echoing throughout the chamber. Moving swiftly before the drag- startled dragon could react, Chiefson's daughter swung her staff one last time, striking the clawed foot, foot poised above Raceland. The staff made a low sing- ringing sound as it stuck the dragon, struck the dragon. Sorry, I took a little pre-workout before I came. It's making me... Uh, then it shattered. A burst of pure, radiant blue light beamed from the broken staff. The, the light grew brighter, spreading out in concentric waves, engulfing the dragon. Cassanth screamed in rage. The dragon was injured terribly, mortally. She lashed out with her tail, flung her head about, and fought to escape the burning blue flame. She wanted nothing except to kill those that dared inflict such pain, but the intense blue light, blue fire, relentlessly consumed her as it consumed Gold Moon. Like I said, sacrifice. The chieftain's daughter had not dropped the staff when it shattered. She held on to the fragmented end, watching as the light grew, keeping as close to the dragon as she could. When the blue light touched her hand, she felt intense burning pain. Staggering, she fell to her knees, still clutching the staff. She heard the dragon shrieking and roaring above her. Then she could hear nothing but the ringing of the staff. The pain grew so horrible that it was no longer a part of her, and she was overcome with a great weariness. I will sleep, she thought. I will sleep, and when I awaken, I will be where I truly belong. This is where we get into that thing, the... Sacrifice. The god goddess knew she was going to have to go through this, this great pain, all this terror. I mean, how how good of a god can they be if they do this? It's like the thing on American Gods. Mister Wednesday is doing what he what he's doing, but he uses everyone that comes through his transom, even other gods. So, are they good or are they evil? Well, that's a matter of open to interpretation because the evil gods use people. They probably they're probably even a little bit more honest about it. They'll tell you, "I'm going to use you. You will be rewarded," but. You know, I'm going to use you. The the good gods talk about sacrifice and and da- honor and duty and all that stuff. Is is that real? I don't know. I mean, it is to them, but you know. Um. Well, then uh, the the uh. Sorry, Sturm sees, and this is his part. Quote: Half blinded by the light and deafened by the sound, the knight realized it would take all his strength and courage to fulfill his oath to retrieve the discs. He tore his gaze from Gold Moon whose face was twisted in agony, whose flesh was withering in the fire. This is pretty, pretty, you know, express, uh, 
descriptive. Gritting his teeth against the pain in his head, he staggered toward the treasure pile where he'd seen the discs. Hundreds of thin sheets of platinum bound together by a single ring through the top. Reaching down, he lifted them, amazed at their lightness. Then his heart almost stopped beating when a bloody hand reached up from the pile of treasure and helped his wrist. Help me. It was Raceland, and um, now Raceland's looking for the spell book. The spell book he talked about earlier. The And nobody gives a shit except him. He, he gets Caraman to, to search it, and he's clawing through it, and he can't find it. And as this, um, it's suddenly over. Um, quote, then the ringing died, and with it the dragon. Cassanth had vanished, leaving nothing behind but a pale pile of smoldering ash then the whole city starts to come down um then they have to they're, they're start discussing how they got to get out of there and you know it's a whole thing but nobody um she, uh, the the gully dwarf boopoo tells them tells them she knows where the direction to go um but river wind won't won't leave Quote, Tannis flung his arm over his face as more stone fell, then jumped across the rubble. He found Riverwind collapse, collapse where Gold Moon had been standing, Flint and Tassifoff trying to get the plasma to his feet. There was nothing there now except a large area of blackened stone. Gold Moon had been entirely consumed in the flames. And uh, they say, Taz tells Tannis he won't move, and then uh, Tannis, um, Tannis goes to talk to Riverwind. Um, let's see. Let's see. I'm trying to figure out... Uh, um, Tannis had gotten, and at this point, Tannis gets hit by a, a stone, hit him on the head, and knocks him down. So that's Riverwind. That actually shakes Riverwind out of it, and you know they start to run. And the Gully Dwarf leads them through to where the lift was, that big pot where they were lifted in. Um, and that's uh, you know they're going to have to fight. So quote, uh, Flint po- pokes Sturm in the ribs. How are we going to fight all of them? Because there's so there's like. Uh, I think there's like 25 or so draconians standing there, like at, at where the lift is going up, and they're trying to get out too because they know the city's collapsing. And Sturm says, "Quote: We're not. You're going to stay here with Riverwind and Tannis. Caraman and I can handle this." He added, wishing he believed it himself. Um, quote. And then Raceland, uh, you know, chimes in ironically and says, "And I, Wizard Mage, I still have my spells." The knight did not answer. He distrusted magic and he distrusted Raceland. Still, he had no choice. Caramon would not go to battle without his brother by his side. Tongue in his mustaches, Sturm wrestlessly loosened his sword. Caramon flexed his arm, clenching, clenching his huge hands. Raceland, his eyes closed, was lost in concentration. Bupu, hidden in a, in a niche in the wall behind him, watched everything with wide, frightened eyes. Um, they start to, they go forward, they start to fight. Uh, then Raceland puts a bunch of them to sleep. And then, um, you know, that he's, he's so running on empty now because he's injured his magic, especially for him, takes more of his, his physical strength. He, they all magic users have to rest after a big battle or whatever. He's casting some pretty powerful spells now and he's already been injured. It's sort of like 11 whenever she, uh, has to fight. Something yes, real, real absolutely. I know they got that from Dungeons and Dragons. I know they did a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like she bleeds and she's tired and you know, that's magic, especially with Raceland. Can we just change this show to just talking about stranger things? <laughs> <laughs> we could. Um, I'm joking. I know. I'm joking. Of course. <laughs> Uh, only six are about left. That's a pretty good. That's much better odds. But for Sturm and Caraman, they're both really good fighters. Um, then Riverwind uh, just raises his head and he's had enough. And then he goes completely 
ape shit. And this is quote, the sound of battle penetrated Riverwind's fog of despair. The plainsman saw gold moon before him dying in the blue flame. The dead expression left his face replaced by a ferocity. So bestial and terrifying that Boopoo still hiding in the, in the doorway screamed in alarm. Riverwind leaped to his feet. He didn't even draw his sword, but charged forward empty handed. He tore into the ranks of the scrambling draconians like a starving panther and began to kill. He killed with his bare hands, twisting, choking, gouging. Draconians stabbed him with their swords. Soon his leather tunic was soaked with blood. Yet he never stopped moving among them, never stopped killing. He was, his face was that of a madman. The draconians in Riverwind's past saw death in his eyes, and so they also also saw that the weapons had no effect. One broken ran, and soon another. Um, that's so, the first time, really, to my knowledge, that Riverwind is it's shown Riverwind how good of a fighter he actually is. I mean, this is a guy, yes, he's tall, and but he's really thin, and you... I thought they kind of gave you the impression that he wasn't as good as Caroline Sturm, but he's doing this with his bare hands. He's fighting these monsters with his bare hands, and he's winning, and they're starting to run. So, Savage. Yeah. He would take exception to that, but... <laughs> um, they're trying to get on the pot, in the pot, um, and Tannis finally wakes up, and... Um, Sturm talks to him, quote, Sturm helped the half-elf rise to his feet. We have the disc, the knight said firmly. It was what we wanted, what what she fought for. What she wanted, what she fought for. They're in my pack. Are you sure you can stand? Yes, Tana said. He drew a ragged, painful breath. breath. We have the disc, whatever good that will do us. I like this because he's starting to um, resent all of this. And he should. I mean, this is something that's now killed killed one companion that got brought back, and now it's killed their, the one companion who dedicated her life to this, burned her into ashes. So Tannis has a little uh, like breakdown here a second and goes on a really fucking mad soliloquy talking to the gods. So um, the pot and then they're still fighting to get in the pot and Raceland is still he says, quote, I have strength for one more spell, the mage whispered, but it may not work. If they see I magi, they may be able to resist my magic. So he hides behind Karaman's shield. Cast a spell. Quote, Raceland spoke. Caraman moved his shield and the mage spread his thin fingers. A ball of white shot from his hands, hitting the draconian squarely in the chest. The ball exploded, covering the creature in sticky webbing. Its cry of triumph changed to a horrifying shriek as the webbing tangled its wings. And it falls down into the mist. It's a good spell. Um, Got him. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he was going to cast one more spell too that might have killed him. Quote, the remaining drag draconian hesitated, still hearing the yells of its fallen companion. It knew that human was a magic user. It also knew that it could probably resist the magic. But this human facing was like no other, no human magic user it had ever encountered. The human's body seemed practically Weak, practically the point of death, but a strong aura of power surrounded him. Magic creatures can sense when somebody else is powerful. The mage raised his hand, pointing at the creature. The draconian cast one last vicious glance at the companions, then turned and fled. Raceland, unconscious, sank into his brother's arms as the pot completed his journey to the surface. You see, Raceland basically almost sacrificed his life to help everybody. At some point, deep down inside, he's a good person, but he's, he's had so many things bad happen to him, and his life has been so hard that he, he seeks power so people won't have power over him anymore. You know, he had to live his whole life with that. So magic is his only path. And he knows, I'll go ahead and tell you, he switches later to the black robe. He becomes an evil magic user. He's red right now. But he sees. How the, long down the road is that? This is a while. Like this is. Books. Yeah. I mean, and uh, it breaks Caraman's heart. And, but. Um, so spoiler alert. Well, but it's not that. I mean, everybody. You'll, you'll understand. Yeah, everybody knew that was going to happen. I mean, he, it's not like he was going to stay good. They, they based an entire series of books around him, a whole three, three book series. If he's a good guy, that's not going to be a very good book. So, you know, 
Um, let's see. I'm trying to. They get to the top, um, and then the wheel cracks. The the iron wheel and the iron pots tumble down. They just got out just in time, of course. You know, um, the whole place is starting to cave in, and Tanis suggests running back to the temple of Mishakal. Riverwind won't move though, so here comes a very poignant part between Tannis and Riverwind. It starts with Sturm, though. Quote, Sturm took hold of Riverwind's arm and started to lift him, but the plainsman shook his head and shoved him away. My wounds are not serious. I can manage. Leave me. He remained slumped on the shattered floor. Tannis glanced questioningly at Sturm. The knight shrugged. The Slamic knights considered suicide noble and honorable. The elves considered it blasphemy. The half-elf took hold of the plainsman's long, dark hair and jerked his head back. It's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty uh, tough move for, a, for such a big, powerful man. Uh, so that the startled man was forced to look into Tannis' eyes. Go ahead, go ahead, lay down and die, Tannis said through clenched teeth. Shame your chieftain. She at least had the courage to fight. That understandably pisses Riverwind off a lot. Quote, River, Riverwind's eyes smoldered. He caught hold of Tannis' wrist and flung the half-elf uh, half from him with such force that Tannis staggered into the wall, groaning in agony. The, t- the plainman stood up, staring at Tannis with hatred. Then he turned and stumbled down the shaking corridor, his head bent. Um, they've already, they're going to the temple now, and then that's. But all this stress on that city hanging basically on the side of a mountain was all she wrote for, for it. So it's uh, this passage describes that. Quote: Sturm grabbed Tasselhoff by the collar and dragged him upstairs. Tannis sank back, sweat chilled his body. Every breath was agony. Suddenly, the remainder of the floor in the Hall of the Ancestors collapsed with a loud snapping noise. The Temple of Mishikals trembled and shook. Tanis staggered to his feet, then he paused a moment. Faintly behind him, he could hear the low, thundering rumble of water surging. Nusi had claimed Zaxaroth. The city that was bad was dead is now buried. So, Riverwind, they're, they're in the temple now, and um, Riverwind, he can't find them. So, there's a good exchange. He's gone into the temple, basically. He's going to commit ritual suicide is, is the impression I got. Um, Sturm blocked his path at, at first. Then he shoved he shoved Sturm aside, but then Flint's standing there. This is one of the times when Flint really uses his age and grandfatherly uh, you know, way to try to talk to him. He says, quote, um, sit down, lad, Flint said, Flint said in a gentle voice as if he too remembered their origins. If your elven head, head cannot understand, then listen to your human heart for once. Tannis shut his eyes, tears singing his lids. Then he heard a great cry from inside the temple, Riverwind. Tannis thrust the dwarf aside and pushed open the huge golden doors. Striding rapidly, ignoring his pain, he threw open the second set of doors and entered the chamber of Mishakal. Once again, he felt peace and tranquility flood over him, but now the feelings only added to his anger over what had happened. This is where he gets mad, and he starts to just rail against him, and this is, I would have too, you know. Um, he says, quote, I cannot believe in you, Tannis cried. What kind of gods are you that you demand a human sacrifice? You're the same gods who brought the cat- cataclysm down on man. All right, so you're powerful. Now leave us alone. We don't need you. The half-elf wept. Through his tears, he could see that Riverwind, sword in hand, knelt before the statue. Tannis stumbled forward, hoping to prevent the act of self-destruction. I thought that was always kind of a heavy-handed thing, the, the act of self-destruction. That's kind of, I thought that was kind of. Be a good name for like 1993 alternative uh Album. Yes, yes, like, it would. Well, it'd be more of a uh, like a hair metal. Yeah, yeah. Appetite for destruction. The act, act of self destruction. It'd be a good follow up to Appetite for yeah. Destruction. <laughs> Tannis ran to the base of the statue and stopped, stunned. 
For a, for a minute, he refused to believe his own sense of sight. Perhaps grief and pain were playing tricks on his mind. He lifted his eyes to the statue's beautiful, calm face and steadied, steadied his reeling, confused nerves. Then he looked again. Gold Moon lay there, sound asleep, her breast rising and falling with the rhythm of their quiet breathing. Her silver-gold hair had come loose from its braid and drifted around, around her face in the gentle wind that filled the chamber with the fragrance of spring. The staff was once again part of the marble statue. But Tannis saw the Gold Moon wore around her throat the necklace that had once adorned the statue. Now, uh, Goldmoon is a true cleric of Mishakal. Like, she's one of the old gods. This is the first cleric they sent back that can actually perform healing and all this stuff. It's a big deal. So, but uh, they're going to deal with, um, then they have to understand that they're going to be dealing with another cleric. Uh, quote, we've got a cleric now, Flint said, and that'll come in handy. But from what we hear, this Lord Verminard's a cleric too, and a powerful one at that. We may, may have found the ancient gods of good, but he found the ancient gods of evil a lot sooner. I don't see how these discs are going to help much against hordes of dragons. You were right, Goldmoon said softly. I'm not a warrior. I'm a healer. I do not have the power to unite the peoples of our world to fight this evil and restore the balance. My duty is to find the person who has the strength and the wisdom for this task. I have to give the disc of Mishakal to that person. Basically, she has to find the first cleric that's going to start the church. She's just like this interim, I guess you would say, to carry the message. And she becomes a part of the church, too, but they, the, the church, I think the gods, goddess knows that she just wants a regular life. So she, they're going to make this person she finds into a cleric. So um, they leave the city. Quote, the companions fled Zaxaroth in the twilight. They traveled west toward the mountains. The air was cold with the bite of early winter. I've always found that they could really describe how something feels better than almost anybody I've ever read. Dead leaves blown by chill winds flew past their faces. They decided to head for Solace, planning to stock up on supplies and gather what information they could before determining where to go in, in their search for a leader. They all go to sleep. They're laying, and this is when we get another uh, moment of Raceland's gentle nature. He really ha- he's, he has a real soft spot for people who are downtrodden. That's why the gully dwarves did not bother him, because he knows what that feels like. Um, he hears, he, every else is asleep, uh, Raceland wakes up because he hears sobbing, and he, um, and this is where it starts. It, quote, what is it, little one? Bupu rolled over to face him. Her eyes were red, her nose swollen. Tears streaked down her dirty face. She snuffled and wiped her hand across her, snow, uh, across her nose. I don't want to leave you. I made. I want to go with you, she said brokenly, but oh, I will miss my people. Sobbing, she buried her face in her hands. A look of infinite tenderness touched Raceland's face, a look no one in this world would ever see. He reached out and stroked Bupu's coarse hair, knowing what it felt like to be weak and miserable, an object of ridicule and pity. There we what I just said. Bupu, he said, you have been a good and true friend to me. You saved my life and the lives of those I care about. Now you will do one last thing for me, little one. Go back. I must travel roads that will be dark and dangerous before the end of my long journey. I kind of ask you to go with me. Bubu lifted her, her head, her eyes brightening. Then a shadow fell across her face. But you will be unhappy without me. No, Raceland said. My happy will, will know, will lie in knowing you are back with your people. And then well, she wants to give him a gift before she leaves. And she pulls out something. This, this is the... <laughs> my perverted mind said something, but nothing. Um, <laughs> you, you can say what, what you want. <laughs> she pulls something out. Like, it's a penis. <laughs> oh, we were tricked the whole time. It's a fist dildo. <laughs> Um, she uh, she says first you take gift quote no little one wrestling began remembering the dead lizard that's not necessary the words caught in his throat he watched Boopoo pull from her bag a book he stared in amazement seeing the pale light of the chill morning illuminate silver runes on a night blue leather blinding binding it's the fist it's the spellbook fist and Antilus is what he was looking for 
What's it called again? The Spellbook of Fist and Dantilus. Fist and Dantilus? Fist Tendantilus is, you know. Fist Tendantilus. Yes. He, he was this legendary. He's like the last Archmage. Bob Dabalina. <laughs> he was the last Archmage, which means all, every other wizard, that's like the highest rank you can ever possibly achieve, and no wizards ever achieve it, really. Um, an Archmage also, I think they always have to be over the black robes. I'm not really sure. I, I'm not. I think people with the white robes can eventually be just as powerful, but it's like Jedi. You know, the white robes have to take a lot longer and it's a lot more discipline and, you know, all that stuff. And you don't take any shortcuts. But that's. It's like being a fighter and making it to the UFC. Like 1% of the fighters make it to the UFC. Right. Only this is like 1% of 1% of 1%. Anybody who ever lives. So it's like making it to the UFC and then becoming the champion. And never losing, essentially. So. John Jones. Yeah. Yeah. He would have been definitely. Somebody that's legendary and that his name will inspire fear even after he's gone. You know what I mean? So, or at me. least, huh? Me. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, she took, she, she said she took it from the dragon and um, then uh, they all wake up. Um, Raceland's looking at the, uh, looking at the spell book and then he looks up. Quote, Raceland stood up, glancing it out to the west to his homeland where the sky was brightening with the early morning sun. Suddenly he stiffened. Then dropping his pack, he ran across the camp and knelt down beside the half-elf. Tannis, Raceland hissed, wake up. Tannis woke up and grabbed his dagger. What? Raceland pointed to the west. Tannis blinked, trying to focus his sleep-scummed eyes. The view from the top of the mountain where they camped was magnificent. He could see the tall trees give way to the grassy plains and beyond the plains snake up into the sky. No, Tannis choked. He gripped the mage. No, it can't be. Yes, Raceland whispered. Solace is burning. So we all remember, you know, Solace was the treetop town. Is that really, really beautiful place? Um, it's where the end of the last home was, where they met. Um, it's Tannis, Flint, Caramans, it's most of their home, their home village, um, and it's and it was always a place that seemed to escape the worst of things, like it was built after the cataclysm, and then kept horrible things kept happening in the world. But Solace, they called it Solace because it's one of those places that just seemed to be untouched. It, it'd be like coming back to your hometown with a bunch of crazy shit going on in the world, and you have the the solace of knowing that this place is going to be untouched, and you can stay here, you know. So. The the chapter the chapter of book two starts with Tika Tika Whale. I remember the uh, buxom barmaid that you know with oh do I remember? <laughs> she's a great. She actually turned out to be a really great character, not such a stereotype. Quote: Tika wrung the out the the rag out in the pail and watched dully as the water turned black. She threw the rag down on the bar and started to lift the bucket to carry it back to the kitchen to draw more water. Then she thought, why bother? Picking up the rag, she began to mop the tables again. When she thought it wasn't watching, she wiped her eyes with the apron. And she basically has a breakdown. The owner of the, of the end of the last home is trying to comfort her. And he not really having much, um, not much having, and not having much success because it was such an awful thing. They go into a little bit, quote, the attack on Solace had come without warning. Even when the first pitiable refugees began to trickle into the town from the north, telling horror stories of huge winged monsters, Hedrick, the high theocrat, remember the guy fell into the fire and he got healed, assured the people of Solace that they were safe, their town would be spared. And the people believed him because they wanted to believe him. And then they came the night of the dragons. Um, Hedrick goes into this big thing about how, you know, Verminard told him that all humans would be safe and everything. And then he launches in this diatribe against elves and dwarves and saying good riddance to him and all this shit. He's an asshole. He's a, he would be, he'd be perfectly at home in MAGA. That's what kind of guy he is. 
Um, he was he, he was giving this big speech, and then quote, then came a low, dull, roaring sound like the gathering of the waters of a mighty ocean. Silence fell abruptly. Everybody listened, puzzled, trying to figure out what made such a noise. Then there was a uh, a thick smothering darkness come down we we know that dragons are magic users so they can use that um and then it wasn't dark anymore well that's what it actually says quote and then it was no longer dark flames exploded outside the inn a wave of heat hit the building with force enough to shatter windows showering those inside with glass the mighty valenwood tree which no storm on, on crin had ever stirred began to sway and rock from the blast the inn tilted table scooted sideways benches benches slid down the floor to slam up against the wall Hedrick lost his balance and tumbled off his chair hot coal spewed from the fireplaces oil lamps from the ceiling and candles from the table started small fires a high-pitched shriek rose above the noise and confusion the scream of some living creature a scream filled with hatred and cruelty the roaring noise passed over the inn there was a rush of wind and the darkness lifted as a wall of flame sprang up to the south solace was burning and then solace was burning is a great line you know what i mean yeah it is like then be a good name for an again for like an an epic uh, fantasy metal band yeah rush like, or something. like dragon force or- solace was burning <laughs> um they people run outside to see what's going on um quote and then and, and above them flew creatures out of the stories of children dragons five red dragons wheeled overhead in the flame lit sky first one then another drove dove down and centering parts of the small town with its fiery breath casting the thick magical darkness it was impossible to fight them warriors cannot see enough to aim their arrows or strike with their swords the rest of the night blurred in Tinker's memory she kept telling herself she must leave the burning inn that the inn was her home and she felt safe there so she stayed through the heat from the flaming kitchen grow so intense it hurt her lungs to breathe just when the flames spread to the common room the kitchen crashed to the ground Odekin the barmaid flung buckets of ale on the flames in the common room until finally the fire was extinguished they're just dealing with you know this horrible thing um but then um some time passed quote that had been a week ago as it turned out the end was not the only building left standing the draconians knew which buildings were essential to their needs and destroyed all those that were not the inn theris ironfield's blacksmith shop and the general store were saved the blacksmith shop had always been on the ground because of the inadvisability of having the hot forge located in the tree, but the others had to be lowered to the ground because the draconians found it difficult to get into the trees. Lord Verminard ordered the dragons to lower the buildings. After a space had been scorched clear, one of the huge red monsters stuck his claws into the inn and lifted it. The dra- draconians cheered as the dragons dropped it, not gently, onto the blackened grass. Fewmaster Toad, in charge of the town, ordered Odic to repair the inn immediately. The draconians had one great weakness, a thirst for strong drink. Three days after the town was taken, the inn reopened. So that's that's what we're walking into, this total destruction of Solace and in the companion's absence. Um, then some draconians come in. It cuts back to Tika, and they're having to serve these draconians. Um, but that goes into the next chapter. Um, it was it was a night at at the end of the last home, and it was filled with draconians and hobgoblins. And Tika, it's from Tika's point of view. Um, quote: Near dusk, a stranger entered the inn, taking a table in a dark corner near the door. Tika couldn't tell much about him. He was heavily cloaked and wore a hood pulled low over his head. He seemed fatigued, sitting down to his chair, though his legs would not support him. This isn't one of our companions, but that's getting ready to to pop off. Um, wait, let me see. No, actually, she does know. I'm sorry. Um, she recognizes who it is. Um, he asked for some ale. Um, then a bunch of other people come in, uh, and she says, "Sit down, strangers." One of the men, a big fellow, start, seemed about to speak. Tika frowned fiercely at him and shook her head. Her eyes shifted to the draconian seated in the center of the room. A bearded man led the group past the draconians, who examined the strangers with a great deal of interest. 
They saw four men and a woman, a dwarf and a kinder. The, the, the men were dressed in mud-stained cloaks and boots. One was unusually tall, another unusually big. The woman was cloaked in furs and walked with her hand through the arm of the tall man. All of them seemed downcast and tired. One of the men coughed and leaned heavily on a strange-looking staff. I wonder who this is. They crossed the room and sat down at a table at the far corner. Tika starts bustling about and getting getting the food. I, I, I don't understand how the Draconians didn't figure this out because she just starts making, like, drags tables over, put, put, put together so they can sit down and get starts running around and getting stuff to eat and everything. I mean, I would think that that would occasion some curiosity while she's, you know, fawning over these people if she doesn't know them. Um... And then it's it, it, it's discovered that it is them. And then uh, Tannis asks her, you know, this is when they get into the meat of it. Quote, tell us what happened to Solace, Tannis said, his voice choked. Quickly, Tika whispered the story as she filled everyone's plate, giving Caraman a double portion. She's kind of sweet on Caraman. The commandants listened in grim silence. And so, Tika concluded, every week the slave caravans leave for Pax Tharkas, except now they've taken almost everyone, leaving only the skilled like Theris Einfeld behind. I fear for him. He swore to me last night that he worked for them no more. It all started with that captive party of elves. And apparently some elves has been captured. So Tannis, of course, pricks his ears up because they might be somebody he knows. Um, then I thought one of the funnier parts is a draconian. A, a draconians apparently like human women. I find that draconians, again, I find an odd monster. Like they should be scary and all kinds of stuff because it's a dragon man. Yeah, and they are kind of scary. I looked up drawings of them. They're yeah, pretty fucked looking. Yeah, they're, and some of them are like, some of them are scary. Like the more powerful ones, the gold, the Arax and the Sivax, you know, the ones that are the more powerful beauty of dragon are scary. They're big. They're a match more for any human. They're a match for uh, a minotaur. You know, we got minotaurs in this world. We'll mm. get into that later. They're they're one of my my favorite species in this fucking place. They're related to ogres and they're uh, sailors and all kinds of stuff. They're awesome. But anyway. Um, I don't find it surprising that they're uh, attracted to human women because I've studied this intensively. And of all the females of all the species, I find human women to be the most fuckable. <laughs> well, but you're talking about a, a, a world where they have elven women and dwarven women. And well, stuff that's like true. That. I've never. Of course, the dwarven women wouldn't be attracted to anybody except dwarves. Except in one story I wrote, I read. Um, it was a story about Tannis and Flint when they were younger. It was a. It was one of the prelude books. And this bounty hunter came looking for Tannis, I think, and captured him. And she was a hot, like, dwarf woman. She was, she didn't have a beard or anything. And she, like, had giant boobs and a giant butt. And she was hot. And she would, like. <laughs> now, dwarves, are they small? They're, well, think Lord of the Rings. Okay. They're they're bigger than a, than a hobbit, but smaller than a human. And they're um, proportional. Yes. Right? Okay. Like, and. Sort of like a pygmy. Yeah, basically, uh, very broad, muscular. You know, even the women are very muscular, too. And one of the funniest things was that apparently this dwarven woman was like, could like make a, any human man say uncle. Like she could just bang him until he made her quit. Like they had a, a whole part of it where that you heard the, the, the camper, she, the camper, the wagon she was in rocking and the guy like basically almost in pain at the end. And then she'd like, it was, it was a really, I was like, that's something to put into a kid's book. You Apparently, know? I banged a dwarf or two in my yeah. time. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we start getting to, in this, the, uh, the, the budding relationship between Caraman and Tika. Um, quote, Caraman watched Tika as he ate, his expression thoughtful. He could still feel the warmth of her body as she embraced him and the softness of her lips. Pleasant sensations flowed through him, and he wondered if the stories he had heard about Tika were true. The thought both saddened him and made him angry. Apparently, Tika has got a reputation for being a loose woman, but she isn't. Like, it's just because she's... A loose woman. Is this the 40s? A loose well, woman? Well, yeah, that's the b- easiest way to say it. You know, I don't, I don't want to say a 
slut, yeah, slut or anything like that. But that's the uh, reputation you have, and it's just because she's pretty and she's you know busty and all those things. It, it, that not, was always how it was. The first girl to get tits was a slut. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, it's, and it's just not it's true. Not nice. She's never been with a man. Tika's never been with a man. So, uh, and in the you know the hypocritical vein of this, Caraman has been slaying his entire life. I mean, he's, he's big, he's muscular, he's handsome. Just been throwing pud. Yeah, I mean, just hucking pud. Raceland, actually, that's one of the reasons Raceland was so jealous of him, because Raceland, in one of the prelude books, uh, when they're younger, like in their teens, Raceland was talking to this girl, and she was actually liked Raceland because he was smart and he was different, you know. But then he comes walking into a, to their barn one day, and, and Karen was just laying it down to her, and like it really broke his heart. And he, I think he still carries that around with him because he really liked that girl, you know. So. Um, uh, a, Cara, uh, a draconian starts to pick on, or starts to hit on Tika, and that makes Caraman ter- uh, mad. Then they all start, they all start arguing again where they should take these things. That, that seems to be half these series of books is where should they go, you know? Because you know, it's like trying to decide to eat with your old lady. <laughs> yeah, basically, that's it. Um, Goldmoon asks if they should go to Haven, um, where the High Seagull Council is, because she thinks that they should. You know, because these people are seeking gods, she can show them, well, here they are. You know, I've got evidence of them and proof. So, um, Tannis wants to go to Quail Nesty. Um, then Tasselhoff, of course, uh, sees somebody come in. Uh, quote, he immediately noticed the hood and cloak stranger in front of the inn, watching them intently as the conversation among the companions grew heated. Tannis raised his voice and the word Quail Nasty rang out again. The stranger set down his mug of ale with a thud. Taz was about to call Tannis' attention to this when Tika came out of the kitchen and slammed food down on the draconians, skillful avoiding their clawed hands. And then she walked back over to the group. And I always found this funny that Caraman asked to have some more potatoes. And then she said, of course. And she smiles at him. And um, that, that, but Raceland saw him and like, like glares at him and Caraman blushes and looks down back down at his food. Um, then the hooded stranger comes toward him. Um, but then something, you know, a little story advancer happens. Quote, the draconians, however, had noticed the stranger. Just as he reached the creature's table, one of the draconians stuck out its clawed foot. The stranger tripped over it, stumbling headlong into a nearby table. The creatures laughed loudly. Then a draconian caught a glimpse of the stranger's face. Elf, the draconian hissed, pulling off the hood to reveal the almond-shaped eyes, slanted ears, and delicate masculine features of an elf lord. Um, then they start the draconians, uh, start saying they're going to kill the guy and do all kinds of stuff. And then we have, uh, you know, a, a regular old, good old bar fight. Um, hell yeah, brother. What song would be playing in this bar fight? <laughs> um, would it be like in uh Bronx tale? Would it be uh, come together by the Beatles? It'd be something like street that. fighting man. <laughs> I would think it'd be like, uh, <laughs> what was it on uh, dirty work? He thinks he's playing Street Fighting Man, but it's like sunshine, lollipops. <laughs> Always love G Seven <laughs> Street Fighting Man. It comes on, they're like, <laughs> it's something stupid, but yeah. I don't know if it's sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows. I think it's Saturday nights all right for fighting is what it is, which is not you know. I mean, that's Saturday. Kind of, that's a great song. It is a great song. Um, love Elton John. But quote: This has gone far enough. Storm rushed forward. The others behind him. They all feared there was little hope of saving the elf. They were too far from him. But help was closer. With a shrill cry of rage, Tika Whalen brought her heavy iron skillet down on the draconian's head. Tika showing some fire. There was a loud clunking sound. The draconian stared stupidly at Tika for an instant, then slivered to the floor. The elf jumped forward, drawing a knife as the other two dragons leaped for Tika. Stern reached for her side and clubbed one of the draconians with his sword. Caraman caught the other up in his great arms and tossed it over the bar. 
Um, then they keep fighting. Tika hits another hobgoblin over the head. Um, one of one of the hobgoblins reaches out the uh, window, and but then we have another moment of, of hating Raceland. Goldwyn looks at uh, Raceland, says, "Use your magic, do something." The mage look at the woman coldly. It is hopeless, he whispered. I will not waste my strength. Kind of a dick move, but he's actually right, you know. Um, <laughs> Tassahoff enters the fight. Um, Tassahoff, quote, Tassahoff, a wild shout, leaped onto the bar and began, began flinging mugs at the half-elf's attacker, narrowly missing Tannis in the process. A human fighter has dragged, has grabbed Tannis and dragged him to the floor. Um, and <laughs> it doesn't go quite as well as, you know, as he would want. Quote, Flint stood in the midst of the chaos, staring at the elven stranger. I know he yelled, study, uh, he yelled suddenly, Tannis, isn't this? A mug hit the dwarf in the head, knocking him out cold. Oops, said Tannis. <laughs> Tannis thro- <laughs> throttled the northerner and left, un- and left him unconscious under a table. He grabbed Taz off the bar, sat the counter on the floor, and knelt down beside Flint, who was gro- groaning and trying to set up. Um, <laughs> this is another funny part Quote Tannis that elf Flink br- Blinked groggily Then asked What hit me That big guy Under the table Taz said pointing <laughs> <laughs> um, But then we find out Who the elf was it's, uh, His name's Gelfinus He was um, He was Tannis's Adopted Brother Kind of But they're cousins It's a weird thing um, But then they all Have to say That they um, Then they get caught um, The Hobgoblin Feumaster Toad comes in um, And Sturm is prepared to die um, And then You know Tannis t- uh, Talks him into not To surrendering And They get Captured um, I don't know if that was you or me Probably me so. I sent you something earlier For you to look at later But you can look at it now And we can talk about it If you want Well I don't know if Awesome That's great yeah. anyway, <laughs> Sorry <laughs> I know we're um, that made me way happy. Yeah, me too. Um, let's see. Um, let's see. They're captured. Um, oh, that's one of my more favorite parts of it. Uh, well, we actually get to see Raceland use a little bit of magic. Um, uh, quote, Raceland raises hands, fingers spread as though to surrender. Suddenly he spoke the words, magic words, and pointed his fingers at the goblin. Small, brightly glowing darts made of pure white light beamed from the major's fingertips, streaked through the air and bedded themselves deep in the goblin's chest. The creature fell over to a shake and lay, lay writhing on the floor. Um, they were going to kill Raceland, and then uh, a few master toad tells him not to. Um, then they, he threatens uh he threatens to kill Tassahoff if he does something else. And then we have another moment of Raceland. He says, what is the kinder to me? Raceland snarl, snarl, uh, snarled. Um, and then he said, then he says he'll come peacefully. Um, Goldwing tries to keep her pack. Um, I'm trying to get to this part. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, this is a good part. They, nobody wants them to steal their equipment. Like Sturm's sword is, is a two handed ceramic sword. It's worth a lot of money. You know, it's a, it's a fine weapon for one of these goblins or hobgoblins to, um, to, you know, keep. And then Raceland actually does something that's kind of cool here. Quote, um, Ah, oh, truly a beautiful weapon, Toad said. Toad said he had a sudden vision of himself walking in the audience with Lord Verminod, this the sword of a Slamnik knight hanging at his side. Perhaps I should take that into custody myself. Bring it. Before he could finish, Raceland stepped forward swiftly and knelt beside the pile of weapons. A bright flash of light sprang from the mage's hand. Raceland closed his eyes and began to murmur strange words, holding his outstretched hands above the weapons and packs. Stop him, yelled Toad, but none dared. Finally, Raceland ceased speaking and his head slumped forward as his brother hurried to help. Raceland stood. Know this, the, ca- the mage said, his golden eyes staring around the common room. I've cast a spell upon our belongings. Anyone who touches them will be slowly devoured by the great worm Caterpillius, who will rise from the abyss and suck the blood from your veins until you're nothing more than a dried husk. 
Caterpillus. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> and then ta- Tasselhoff, of course, is fascinating. Quote, the great one Caterpillus breathed Tasselhoff his eyes shining. That's incredible. I've never heard of Tannis clapped his hand over the candor's mouth. Um, oh, this, this is such a great part. Uh, Caraman says, quote, that's a wonderful spell race. How, how effective is it? Could it? He's like, it's about as effective as your wit. Race on whispered and held up his hand, right hand. As Caraman saw the telltale black marks of flash power, he smiled grimly in sudden understanding. He just sleight of hand, made some shit up and used some flash powder like, you know, any good magician. So I always thought that was kind of a cool part. Um, then they're all put into uh, then the companions are put into a slave caravan. They'll be taken to pack Starkass. So, um, Quote, when day dawned, they could see other prisoners in the other cages. The last slave caravan bearing solace for Pax Tarkas. It was to be personally led by the few master himself. Toad having decided to take this opportunity to impress Lord Verminard, who was in res- residence at Pax Tarkas. Um, have a, uh, this is a difficult part because there's so much uh, stuff here and I uh, wasn't quite prepared. Um, we get a point of view from Fearmaster Toad talking about the companions. Quote, Fearmaster Toad emerged from the mist, rubbing his fat hands together and grinning wildly as he regarded the slave caravan with pride. There may be a promotion here, a fine catch, considering pickings were drying up in this burnout shell of a town. Lord Verminard himself, Ver, Ver, Lord Verminard should be pleased, especially with this last batch. That large warrior, particularly an excellent specimen, he could probably do the work of three men in the mines. The tall bar- barbarian would do nicely too. Probably have to kill the knight, though. The Slamniks were notorious and uncooperative. But Lord Vermin would, will certainly enjoy the two females. Very different, but both lovely. Toad himself had always been attracted to the red-haired barmaid with her alluring green eyes, the low-cut white blast, purposely revealing just enough of her lightly freckled skin to tantalize man with thoughts of what lay beyond. It's, they always, they very, they sexualize Tika a lot. I mean, I know she's a, like a sexual woman, like she's, you know, beautiful and curvy and all that stuff, but they, it, I think that was, uh, I don't know why they did that actually. I mean, because one of the writers was a woman, but this was written in the 80s. So somebody's got to be the fuck doll, you know what I mean? <laughs> but she's not. She's not going to be Tannis. <laughs> could be Tassel. It's not like he'd fight back. Um, he'd rob you while you're doing it, though. Oh, that's true. Uh, then there's a fight. There's uh, some turmoil. They hear outside the uh, coming out from outside the cages. Um, quote: Gilthanus stood up, his face pale. I know that voice. Theron Seinfeld. I feared this. He's been helping elves escape since the slaughter. This Lord Verminoz has sworn to exterminate the elves. Gilthanus watched Tannis's reaction. Or didn't you know? No, Tannis said, shocked. I didn't know. How could I? And Gilthanus is apparently mad at him for growing a beard and flaunting his human side. That's a thing with with half elves. Is that they they feel if you're not elven enough, then you're ashamed to be an elf, which is ridiculous. Um, Tannis gets mad about it. Um, let's see. They bring, uh, then they bring Theros Ironfeld up. Um, I'm trying to find a good description of him. Um, he's a tall, he's a black guy. He's one of these, uh, he's a northern, the northern Argothians are, 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 at, or would be African, you know, um, and he's a, he's a huge man. He's actually a very important character later. Um, quote, Theros Ironfeld lay unconscious on a straw covered floor of the cage. Where a strong right arm should have been was a mangled stump. His arm had been hacked off, apparently by some blunt weapon, just below the shoulder. Blood poured from the terrible wound and pulled on the floor of the cage. Um, then Tasselhoff, um, he sees a, they have a gully dwarf guard named Seston, and he's got like a, a, a spiked helmet on, and he's got like a giant axe that's too big for him that drags behind him, and he's uh, Tasselhoff is so amused by him. Um, um, this Theros Einfeld was a friend of Gilthanus. Like I said, he was helping smuggle elves out 
you know, who were going to be just unceremony, you know, just killed out of hand because in this world, of course, the elves are the, the good race. They were created by the good gods at the dawn of time. So they've always been, you know, you have some, what are known as dark elves. They are few and far between. They're, they're elves that give up the good and go to darkness. And they're, they are reviled by elves. As a matter of fact, there's a bounty on their heads by any elf who sees them. You're, you're obligated to kill them. So now this leads me to believe that since there's bounties, it leads me to believe that in this world, there could possibly be bounty a dog, hunter. the bounty hunter <laughs> going after these. No. Um, then they're talking about, you know, uh, he sees, but G- Gilthanus has basically given up uh, the fact that Theros Ironfield is going to die because nobody can heal that. But we see, we know that's not true. Um, quote, no gold said Goldmoon coming to kneel beside the Smith. He need not die. I'm a healer healer. Lady Gilthanus said impa- impatiently. There is no, there exists no healer on Kren who could help this man. He has lost more blood than the dwarf has in his whole body. His life beat is so faint. I can barely feel it. The kindest thing you can do is let him die in peace without any of your barbarian rituals, which is a really nasty, shitty thing to say. Um, but she ignores him. Quote, Mishakal, she prayed, beloved goddess of healing, grace this man with your blessing. If this destiny, if his destiny be not fulfilled, heal him. They may live and serve now and serve the cause of truth. Gilthanus band remonstrated once more, reaching out to pull Gold, Goldman away. Then he stopped and stared in amazement. Blood ceased to drain from the smith's wound. And even as the elf watched, the flesh began to close over it. Warmth returned to the smith's dusky black skin. His breathing grew peaceful and easy, and he appeared to drift into a healthy, healthful, relaxed sleep. Um, this is a, you know, Gilthanus is shocked because he, he always thought that his gods were going to return. They would come back to the elves who, as Tannis said, never really forgot him, but they didn't, they didn't really honor him as they should have. They basically used him as, you know, um, like anybody uses God nowadays. God, give me this. God, give me that. Stuff mm-hmm. like that, as opposed to truly believing in him. I don't know. Um, nowadays, we uh, people use God as a uh, as an excuse to be horrible. A absolutely. Of, a lot of the time. And and they still do. They do that in this world, too. Um, shoot. They keep going in the uh, car- caravan. Um, and there's through uh, quote caravan traveled south from Solace down the old road through Gateway Pass. The hobgoblins and draconians grumbled about traveling in the heat of the day, but they cheered up and moved faster once they marched in the shade of the pass's high canyon walls. Although the prisoners were chilled in the canyon, they had their own reasons for being grateful. They no longer had to look upon the ravaged homeland. It was evening by the time they left the canyon's winding roads and reached Gateway. The prisoners strained against the bars for some glimpse of the thriving market town, but now only two low stone walls melted and blackened marked where the town might once have once stood. No living creature stirred. The prisoners sank back in mystery. Sent back in misery. Um, you know, they're just they're seeing the destruction of of everything. You know, the 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 dragon high lords and the dragons have now officially started war. Um, burned everything they didn't need. You know, basically doing some. Nazi type shit. <laughs> it's uh, they. Um, it's just a. This is this part is just a description of how miserable they are. Um, quote: Goldman remained near the injured Smithy. Although Theris Ironfell was no longer at the point of death, he's still very ill. He developed a high fever, and in his delirium, he raved about the sacking of Solace. Thera spoke of draconians whose bodies, when dead, turned into pools of acid, burning the flesh of their victims, and of drag- draconians whose bones exploded after death, destroying everything within a wide radius. Ted had lis- listened to the smith relieve horror after horror until he felt sick. For the first time, Tannis realized the enormity of the situation. How, they- how could they hope to fight dragons whose whose breath could kill, whose magic exceeded that of all but the most powerful magic users who had ever lived. How could they defeat vast armies of those draconians 
even when even the corpses of the creatures had the power to kill. All we have, Tannis thought bitterly, are the discs of Mishakal, and what good are they? He examined the discs during their journey from Zaxaroth to Solace. He had been able to read little of what was written, however. Although Goldmoon had been able to understand those words that pertain to the healing arts, she could decipher a little more. So they're really, um, they're really not in a very good spot right now. I mean, it's uh, Tannis is right. You know, what do they do? So this, you know, and now they're prisoners and things. This is definitely the, you know, the uh, Empire Strikes Back of this part book where everything just goes to shit. Um, then they have a part uh, that I kind of liked. It was develop the relationship between Tika and Raceland. Tika is in love with Caraman. Like, of course, he's adapted, attracted to big, strong men. But something about Raceland uh, appeals to her, too, but not in that kind of way. But it just kind of goes into it. Quote. In fact, it had been Tika's father who had inadvertently introduced Raceland to his calling. Raceland's father took the twin boys and his stepdaughter, Kitiara, we'll meet her later, to the local Summer's End Festival where the children watched the wonderful Waylon perform his illusions. Eight-year-old Caraman was soon bored and readily agreed to accompany his teenage half-sister to the event that attracted her, the swordplay. Raceland, thin and frail even then, had no use for such active sports. He spent the entire day watching Waylon, the illusionist. When the family returned home that evening, Raceland astounded them by being able to duplicate flawlessly every trick. The next day, his father took the boy to study with one of the great Masters of the Magic Arts. Tig had always admired Raceland, and she had been impressed by the stories she had heard about his mysterious journey to the fabled Towers of High Sorcery. Now she had helped care for the mage out of respect and her own innate need to help those weaker than herself. She's a really good person. She also tended him, she admitted proudly to herself, because her deeds won a smile of gratitude and approval from Raceland's handsome twin brother. Um, Tannis is actually uh, worried about the relationship between Tig and Caraman because he knows Caraman's been around the block a few times, and Tig is a good girl, and he doesn't know how that's going to go. Um, uh, also, Sturm is not taking it well. Quote, he had another, another problem as well. Sturm, humiliated at being taken prisoner and hauled through the countryside like an animal to slaughter, lasts into a deep depression from which Tannis thought he might never escape. Sturm either sat all day, staring out between the bars, or perhaps worse, he lasts into periods of deep sleep from which he could not be awakened. Boy, I know how that feels. Um, Amen. <laughs> um, I'm going to do that later. <laughs> yeah, I wish I could. I mean, um, we get a description here of uh, of Gilthanus and Tannis's relationship. I, I like the things that are mostly from Tannis's point of view because he's, like I said, he's the everyman, but in a different way than Tasselhoff. Quote, Gilthanus, childhood friend, more than friend, brother. Raised in the same household and close to the same age, the two had played and fought and laughed together. When Gilthanus' little sister grew old enough, the boys allowed the captivating blonde child to join them. One of the threesome's greatest delights was teasing their older brother, Portheus, we'll meet him later, a strong and serious youth who took the responsibilities and sorrows of his people at an early age. Gilthanus, Lorana, and Portheus were the children of the Speaker of the Sons, the roar of the elves of Quelnasty. A position Portheus would inherit at his father's death. Um, Lorana uh, develops feelings for Tannis. Um, it's not taken well to put it to put it mildly by Gilthanus. and they Gilthanus and Tannis were the best of friends. Like they were really close. It'd be like you you and your best friend getting in a fight if you both fall in love with your best friend's sister, and he tells you that you're not good enough. You know that you're. That's basically what has happened. So, um, quote Gilthanus had not been so tactful talking about how he wasn't a proper fit for his sister. He and Tannis had exchanged bitter words over Lorana. It was years before the sting of those words faded, and Tannis wondered if he had ever truly forgotten or forgiven. Clearly, Gilthanus had done neither. Um, he he uh, he tries to engage Gilthanus in some, in some conversation. Gilthanus does not uh, return it. Um, you actually start to not 
um, like Gelfinus. I mean, it's culture for them. Like elves are by nature racist and xenophobic and all those things. And yes, they do it because they do believe that other races are less than them. Like um, humans being the worst. Um, they they bear kinder with kind of like you know annoyed amusement. Um, dwarves can be respected because they're great craftsmen, and you know they worked on a lot of the elven cities were were helped were dwarves helped build them. You know some of the greatest wonders are the two races working together. So they have a a working respect for dwarves, but they would definitely not. You know the the idea of of uh, elven woman being with a dwarf is would be appalling to them, and vice versa. Like dwarves do not find elven or human women attractive. Like they just don't. Because they're not, they don't have beards, and they're not. You know, I mean, what a race finds attractive is, you know. Um, I like a gal with a beard. I got to be honest. <laughs> um, then we have an, uh, an introduction of a very important character. Um, quote: By sunrise of the third day, the draconian army was flagging from the night's long march and looking forward to a rest. The companions had spent another sleepless night and looked forward to nothing but another chill and dismal day. But the cages suddenly rolled to a stop. Tannis glanced up, puzzled at the changing routine. The other prisoners roused themselves and looked out and looked out the cage bars. They saw an old man dressed in long robes that, one might, that once might have been white and a battered pointed hat. He appeared to be talking to a tree. I say, did you hear me? The old man shook a worn walking stick at the oak. I said, I move and I meant it. I was sitting on that rock. He pointed it to a boulder, enjoying the rising sun on my old bones when you had the nerve to cast a shadow over it and chill me. Move this instant, I say. The tree, tree did not spot, did not respond. It also did not move. I won't take any more of your insolence. The old man get, began to beat on the tree with his stick. <laughs> and then Fumaster Toad um, it orders him being thrown in a cage. He's just some crazy old man, basically. Um, <laughs> he's he's an endlessly funny character. You, we'll get into this guy. Um, they grab him and he says, quote, get your hands off me. The old man shrieked to the draconians who ran up and accosted him. He beat on them feebly with his staff until they took it away from him. Arrest the tree, he insisted, obstructing sunlight. That's the charge. So he's, you know, he's obviously nuts. Um, Riverwind, uh, when he's thrown in, um, Riverwind is like, they, they respect their elders in, in plains and society. So ask him if it's okay. And, um, Goldman steps up and says, uh, are you hurt? I'm a cleric of Mishikal, he said, peering at the amulet around her neck. How very interesting. My, my. He stared at her in astonishment. You don't look 300 years old. Um, he's This guy's name, uh, or he introduced himself. Um, he does a bunch of other funny stuff, but we just don't have enough time for all the funny shit he does. Because he's, he's uh, quote, what is your old name, old one? Tika asked. My name, the old, the old man hesitated, frowning. Fizban. Fizban? Yes, that's it. Fizban. Fizban Tasselhoff re, re, Repeated as the cage lurched to a start again. That's not a name, isn't it? The old man asked wistfully. That's too bad. I was rather fond of it. <laughs> I think it's a splendid name, Tika said, glaring at Taz. The, kisen, the kinder subsided into a corner, his eyes on the pouches slung over the old man's shoulder. <laughs> so, he can't wait to go through his stuff. Um, then uh, Raceland is not doing well. Um, he can't get his, his drink, uh, that drink he takes to, to calm his... I have no idea what that might be. I I I think it might be kratom, but <laughs> could be uh, Sudafed. Yeah, or what's the stuff that used to be in cough syrup back in the day? Um, like it used to be in uh, codeine. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Remember, That's good remember stuff. when Nyquil had codeine? I oh mean, yeah, Nyquil's a motherfucker now. But I know. Back in the day when it had codeine, it was killing people though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if your mommy was good, then she'd keep it on a high shelf and you couldn't reach it. Sure. So you just get one dose a night and then you sleep for 72 hours and you wake up feeling refreshed. 
No shit. Sleep for three whole <laughs> it's days. the fucking best. I know. Um, Gold Moon's not even able to help him. Um, but suddenly, the old man stands up. Quote, excuse me, the old man said. May I? Fizban sat down beside Raceland. He laid his hand on the mage's head and sternly spoke a few words. Caraman, listening closely, heard Fistan and not the time. Certainly it wasn't a healing prayer such as Goldman had tried, but he saw that his brother responded. The response was astonishing, however. Raceland's eyes fluttered and opened. He looked at the old man with an expression of terror and grasped Fizban's wrist in his th- thin, frail hand. For an instant, it seemed Raceland knew the old man. Then Fizban passed his hand over the mage's eyes. A look of terror subsided, replaced by confusion. Hello, Fizban named him. Name's uh, Fizban. He shot a, fir- a stern glance at Tasselhoff, daring the kinder to laugh. Um, and he finds out he's uh, he finds that he's a magician. He says, Raceland says, you're magi. And uh, Fizban says, why, I suppose I am. And he says, uh, he says, a small world, Kree. I'll have to teach you a few of my spells. I have one, a fireball. Let's see. How did that go? And then they, um, you know, this this section of the book, when they're in these cages and stuff, is, is kind of long. I always thought it was kind of long. Um, but they had to introduce so many important characters. Fizban is an extremely important character. You'll find out how important later. Um, I don't know if I should throw out spoilers. Um, Do what you want. But uh, no, it's fine. We start uh, chapter four with just, you know, everybody going through their respective tortures. Quote, Raceland suffered in Dwadi. Sturm suffered in mind. But perhaps the one who experienced the keenest suffering during the companion's four-day imprisonment was Tasselhoff. The cruelest form of torture one can inflict on a kinder is to lock him up. Of course, it is also widely believed that the cruelest form of torture one can inflict on any other species is to lock them up with a kinder. (laughs) After three days of Tasselhoff's incessant chatter, pranks, and practical jokes, the companions would have willingly traded the kinder for a peaceful hour of being stretched on the rack. At least that's what Flint said. Finally, after even Goldmoon lost her temper and nearly slapped him, Tana sent Tasselhoff to the back of the cart. His legs hanging over the edge, the kinder pressed his face against the iron bars and thought he would die of misery. He had never been so bored in his entire life life um he he got interested when fizzman um <laughs> there's so many things to quote here because they're all such good passages quote things got interesting with the discovery of fizzman but the old man's amusement value wore thin when tanis made taz return the old ma- magician's pouches and so driven to the point of desperation tasselhoff latched onto a new version seston the gully dwarf um you, uh, again you feel really bad for this gully dwarf because they go into you know how he's treated um quote the gully dwarf was the object of toad's ridicule and mistreatment he ran the few masters errands all night long carrying messages from toad at the front of the cavern to the hobgoblin's captain at the rear lugging food up to the few master from the spy cart feeding watering the few master's pony and other nasty jobs if you master uh, any other nasty jobs if you master could devise Toad knocked him flat at least three times a day. The draconian, the draconians tormented him, and the hobgoblin stole his food. Even the elk kicked at him wherever he trotted, trotted past. These cards are being drugged by elk, I forgot to tell you. Um, the gully dwarf bore it all with such a grimly defiant spirit that won him the sympathy of the companions. Um, they start talking to him about, they're trying to get information out of him. They discover that's impossible. They ask him how many dragons are at Pax Tharkaz, and he says two, no more than two, which could mean two or 200. You know, they don't, they can't really count. Um, let's see. Then you start to get in, um, they start talking about the dragon lance and what they're going to do. And, um, quote, dragon lance, mother, muttered Fizban, walking with a snort. Dragon lance? Who anything, said anything about the dragon lance? My brother, Raceland whispered, smiling bitterly. Quoting the canticle, it seems he and the knight have taken a fancy to children's stories that have come to haunt them. Good story, human, the dragon lance, said the old man, stroking his beard. Um, and then he says, he says all these things that are just, you know, odd. He was real, Fizban said softly, and so was the dragon lance. The old man's face grew sad. Um, then Tasselhoff, 
uh, no, Caraman gets interested and he's like, uh, well, can you describe it? And of course, fame Spitz Van sniffed disdainfully. It was a weapon similar to, no, it wasn't. Actually, it was, no, it wasn't that either. It was closer to almost a, rather, it was sort of a lance. That's it, a lance. And it was quite good against dragons. That's all I can say. <laughs> you know, um, let's see. Tasselhoff starts to uh, tell stories. Um, he's, t- he's telling Seston stories. Um, quote, and so I grabbed the rock from my pouch, threw it, and thunk hit the wizard right in the head, Taz fr- finished hurriedly. The, dream- the demon grabbed the wizard by the foot and dragged him down to the depths of the abyss. But first, dragon, thank you. Demon, thank you, prompted, prompted Seston, who had heard the story with variations twice before. You forgot. <laughs> so he's just, he's, Tasselhoff is trying to amuse himself by telling the gully dwarf stories. Um, and here we come to uh, finally a place that finally, I know this was a h- tough part of the show because this was, you know, something that was even tough to read. So, but we're going to get up tempo now. So, quote, suddenly Taz heard a bird call in the woods. Several answered it. What what odd sounding birds, Taz thought. Never heard their like before. But then he'd been never been this far south before. He knew where they were from. He knew where they were from one of his many maps. They had passed over the only bridge across the White Rage River and were heading south towards Pax Tharkas, which was marked on the Kinder's map as the site of the famed Thedarkan Iron Mines. I never heard that before. Land began to rise, and thick forests of aspens appeared to the west. The draconians and cobgoblins kept eyeing the forests, and their pace picked up. Concealed within these woods was Kalanesti, the the ancient elven home. Um, So they're understandably nervous. They're in a place extremely hostile, and the elves are still powerful, even though they're kind of on their heels a little bit. Um, (laughs) Fizban... And again, Fizban knows what's going on before it even happens. Quote, Fizban sat up, yawned, and glanced around. Oh, good, he said mildly. The elves are here. What elves? Where? Tennis sat up. There was a sudden whirring sound like a covey of quail taking flight. A cry rang out from the supply wagon in front of them. Then there was a splintering sound as the wagon, now driverless, lurched into a rut and tipped over. The driver of their cage wagon uh, pulled sharply on the reins, stopping them up before they ran into the wrecked supply wagon. The cage tipped precariously, sending the prisoners sprawling. The driver got the elk going again and guided them toward the wreckage. Suddenly, the driver of the cage screamed and clutched his neck where the companions saw the feathered shaft of an arrow silhouette against the dimly lit morning sky. The driver's body tumbled from the seat. The other guard stood up, sword raised. Then he, too, toppled forward with an arrow in his chest. The elk, freeing the lane, feeling the reins go slack, slowed into the cage, cage rolled to a halt. Cries and screams echoed up and down the caravan as arrows whizzed through the air. So, apparently, this is, uh, well, uh, the discussion between Nass and Gilthanus reveals this. Quote, what is it? What's going on? What's going on, Tennis asked Gilthanus. But the elf, ignoring him, peered through the dawn gloom into the forest. Portheos, he called. Tennis, what's happening? Sturm sat up, speaking his first words in four days. Portheos is Gilthanus' brother. I take it this is a rescue, Tennis said. An arrow skipped past and lodged in the wooden side of the cart, narrowly missing the night. It won't be much of a rescue if we end up dead, Sturm dropped to the floor. I thought the elves were expert, mark- expert marksmen. Um, basically, this is a hit and run to try to free everybody. Um, let's see. They're trying to get loose, um, and they can't figure out what to do. So Tasselhoff looks out at the gully dwarf. Seston, the t- Tasselhoff cried, your axe, break the lock. He carried a big wood axe with him. Um, the gully dwarf's eyes opened wide. He stared at the companions, then he glanced down the trail the few master had taken. His face twisted, twisted in an agony of indecision. Um, and Tasselhoff tells him, if you free us, you can come with us. Quote, a look of firm resolve hardens Seston's features. He reached for his axe, which he wore strapped onto his back. Cam- companions watched in nail-biting frustration as Seston felt all around his shoulders for the axe, which was located squarely in the middle of his back. 
Finally, one hand discovered the handle and he pulled the axe out. Flint saw it and groaned. That axe is older than I am. It must bait, bait da- date back to the cataclysm. He probably couldn't cut through a kinder's brain, let alone that lock. Um, so they're they're trying to get him to cut the lock. Um, and he, he swings at it and chips a little bit. And then um, then uh, Fizban stands up. Um, what is it? He says, uh, hold on a second. I'm sorry. Fizben did kneel down for a moment, but it was only to talk to Raislin. Say there, my boy, he said, as an arrow flew past right where Raislin, where he'd been standing. Have you got a bit of back guanine on you? I'm out. No, old one, Raislin said frantically. Get down. No pity. Well, I guess I'll have to wing it. The old magician stood up, planted his feet firmly on the floor, and rolled up the sleeves of his robes. He shut his eyes, pointed at the cage door, and began to mumble strange words. What spell is he casting? Tannis asked Raislin. Can you understand? The young mage listened intently, his brow furrowed. Suddenly, Raislin's eyes opened wide. No, he shrieked, trying to pull on the old man's magician's robe to break his concentration, but it was too late. Fizban said the final word and pointed his finger at the lock on the back door of the cage. Take cover. Raceland threw, Raceland threw himself beneath the bench. Seston, seeing the old magician pointing at the cage door and at him on the other side, fell flat on his, flat on his face. Three draconians reaching the cage door, their weapons dripping with their saliva, skidded to a halt, staring up in alarm. What is it? Tannis yelled. Fireball, Raceland gasped, and at that moment, a gigantic ball of yellow-orange fire shot from the old man's fingertips and struck the cage door with an explosive boom. Tannis buried his face in his hands as flames billowed and crackled around him. A wave of heat washed over him, searing his lungs. He heard the draconian scream in pain and smelled burning reptile flesh. Then smoke flew down his throat. Now the cage is on fire and uh, they're going to burn up. So Tassahoff yells at Seston. He said, Seston, Tassahoff's shrill voice rose above the crackling flames. Try again, hurry. The gully dwarf staggered to his feet, swung the axe, missed, swung again, and hit the lock. The superheated metal shattered. The lock gave way, and the cage door swung open. So they get out, um, and then they run for the woods, and uh, Riverwind doesn't want to enter um, because he doesn't trust elves, you know, um, but uh, Tannis assures him that it's all right. He has, you have my pledge. And of course, um, at the end, Fizban is standing there saying, quote, wonderful spell. And did anyone say a word of thanks? He asked wistfully. Um, I think we'll, I think we should stop there for today. What do you think? Sounds good to me, brother. It's, uh, we're getting ready to get into the elf home and then they're, uh, moving into Pax the Arcast and free this, uh, and that's the last part of the book and it's a great part. So, um, it's got a lot of material to cover. Um, this was a good show. I felt, um, I wasn't as prepared as I would like to have been, been a, tough week but uh, i hope you enjoyed it and we'll finish up this book next week but this will be the only time we're going to do a four-part series in a book this is uh, on a book or a series of books because we're going to i mean we can basically start an entire new show once we get to game of thrones right well I'll, i was going to say as long as we're in these books once we okay. get to game of thrones <laughs> there's going to be like 10 shows to one book we'll do so, four hour it's it's it, going to be, be hardcore history it will really be hard because i'll be super more super interested in that too since right. i know the show right so but uh y'all come back and it was fun and see i'll talk to you next week